Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, welcome back. I want to remind you my TEDx talk is live, the real ROI of grant writing. You can go watch that on YouTube, share it with a friend. Let's spread the word about how we can truly help nonprofits by building a solid ROI framework. Today's guest is a (laughs) no-nonsense expert in leadership and organization and strategy, and he also has a heart of gold. I am talking with Otis McGregor. He is a leadership expert, also an author and podcast host. He is a project management trainer, a rugby coach, special forces, and retired from the U.S. Army. He is a former Green Beret, so it's an honor to talk with him today. He has worked in so many capacities in leadership, and he believes that better leaders create better organizations, better organizations create better communities, and better communities will create a better world. So that is his driving force, and that is why I want you to hear from him today too. He has worked as a business development manager, director, and chief strategy officer for several companies. He has his own business to help companies win government contracts. And now he also hosts the Tribe and Purpose podcast, which I was honored to be a guest on recently as well. So you can go hear me in the hot seat for that episode. He talks a lot about how we operate and align our business and purpose with who we are and our bigger why. And he really focuses on creating better leaders to lead high-performing teams. And it really starts with that understanding that vision. He retired from the Army as a Green Beret Lieutenant Colonel after 25 years of service. And of course, being a Green Beret and being in the Army that long, he has a vast experience in all different areas, different travels, and just a really interesting background. And he'll share some of that on the episode as well. And being a part of these from the ground up has really helped him gain a lot of wisdom and just understanding of how nonprofits need to run, how organizations need to run. And he has found a way to really use those skills for good. And it's a really powerful way to do it. So I appreciate Otis's insights and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Otis, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Tell us a random fact about yourself. Uh, random would be uh, that I used to coach rugby, and then I, I coached rugby for five years, and then I played my first game after five years at 52 years old. Wow. Yeah. Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And you live to tell about it. You don't look too injured for it. Uh, yeah, the injuries I have all stem from 
previous things. That's uh, one of the reasons uh, those injuries are why I don't play anymore. Okay. Not from rugby. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a fun outlet, I guess. Oh, it is. It's a great sport. Uh, uh, I love the the teamwork, the strategy, the physical effort. You know, I tell people it's a combination of, of football, soccer, and wrestling all rolled into one game. So, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Fun. Can't say I've ever played that one, but it sounds fun. Yeah. Actually, the uh, U.S. women are in the World Cup uh, in New Zealand right now, and they – I can't remember their next game's got to be real soon, uh, but they beat Japan last week. So oh, okay, I did awesome. watch some of it on the Olympics last time around, yeah, and sevens. boy, mm-hmm. it's pretty powerful sport. Yeah, and sevens is uh, amazing because it's nonstop. It just yeah, yeah. yeah. Goodness. Well, you have a pretty incredible background and a lot of leadership skills and experience, and I'm sure learning things the hard way, which is a lot of nonprofit work, right? (laughs) We figure out a lot of things the hard way. So I wanted to pull you in and see what wisdom you have to share. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to this point. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I started off uh, my Army career and per- or pursuit of my Army career as a cadet at Texas A&M. And while there, I enlisted in the Guard uh, because I, I really wanted to understand uh, what my future soldiers had gone through as you know privates and basic training and all those sort of things. So I did that. I was a tank driver for about a year, uh, and then I... I changed over and became a, a long-range reconnaissance scout. I did that for a little over a year also. And then uh, I was commissioned as an officer and went in uh, on active duty and uh, went to Fort Wayne, Ryan, Alaska, which is right in Fairbanks. Uh, took my uh, brand-new Texas bride with me, which, you know, there's uh, two two of us Texas folks going to just a, uh, about – I think if I remember right, like 90 miles south of the uh, Arctic Circle or something like wow. that. We're pretty far up there. Uh, and that experience, uh, while there, I volunteered for Special Forces and became a Green Beret. Spent the rest of my career as a Green Beret. And that's that's what led me, you know, in, in the rest of my career in the Army uh, to round out to 25 years. Uh, then I went into the business world and spent uh, about seven years uh, working for different companies, doing everything from uh, business development to program and project management. Uh, and then I decided uh, that didn't work for me. Uh, so I, I refocused myself. And truthfully, the the catalyst, the thing that, that guided me was rugby uh, and uh, the fact at that point, uh, when I made that choice, I had just finished my seventh year of coaching rugby. And uh, that's what guided me to shift gears and become a become an executive leadership coach and start helping really uh, not just helping people, but sharing my lessons, my life lessons, my experiences. You know, you mentioned the kind of the school of hard knocks. Y- yes and no, but, you know. Uh, I read a lot of books too, uh, and, and and tried to gain lessons from other people who 
had done similar things both in the military and outside the military, sports coaches, business leaders, uh, anybody that, you know, and, and a friend of mine told me this years ago, and I, I think it's such a great thing to remember is, is don't get pigeonholed into leadership style for the, we'll just say the industry that you're in. Because there's great leaders out there. And, and one of the things I truly believe is, is I could take a great leader from, you know, a, like a Phil Jackson. Let's take Phil Jackson. And most people know who Phil Jackson is, right? Basketball coach, very, very successful coach in, uh, in the NBA. I could take Phil Jackson, pluck him out of the NBA and drop him into a business. And that business would become very successful. Now, there'd be a learning curve, but he's the kind of guy that's going to learn it, Right. And so I think the point is that don't get pigeonholed into uh, only reading about leaders or people that do business in your area, broaden it out to include sports and uh, coaches. Uh, there's plenty of stories out there and there's great leadership lessons out there. And, and if you're not in the military, I'd say even military leaders, uh, you know, uh, one of my old bosses, Stan McChrystal, has got a great book, uh, Team of Teams. Another of my one of my old bosses, uh, uh, Bill McRaven, uh, his book, um, Make Your Bed, is another another great one that, you know, is just solid how to live your life and how to be a great leader. So those, those sort of things. I, I don't I think I've kind of drifted off into that. But but the point I, I really want to make on that is is don't don't pigeonhole yourself broaden yourself out take the blinders off uh and as i say that i find it ironic that uh i believe it's seneca uh it says don't get lost in the in the stories of many authors but focus on the one so it's kind of the opposite of what he said but uh you know there, there's some truth to both sides so you got to find the balance for yourself Mm, that's great advice. And along those lines, I was thinking the same thing when you said your years in the service and then business, and then you shifted to rugby. Like mm. sometimes we need a complete change of pace or a completely different perspective to get us out of our ruts or to get the blinders off. And it sounds like that was what you needed at that time, just something completely different to really figure out your skills and your space. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's, and you know, and truthfully to, to put a plug in for coaches, executive coaches, that that's one of the things that we do, you know, in my industry as an executive coach, we give you that outside perspective uh, to look at the problem differently, to look at what it is that you really want and, and ask those hard questions of the coachee so that, you know, you, you come up, you formulate the answers yourself as opposed right. to here's the solution, because I don't know about you, but I've never liked doing what somebody else tells me to do. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I spent a lot of time doing that in my life. Yeah, <laughs> I bet that was a tough thing to reconcile. <laughs> it is. It in is. In the military. Sometimes. You know, that's a great point because when I'm working with nonprofits, it's similar. I work with them and sometimes I feel like I have to ask some tough questions to help them uncover, but I figure it's better coming from a friend 
who wants to help them than say a grant funder that's looking for mistakes and looking to count off scores. And in your case, you know, people who don't want them to succeed in business, it's better to hear it from you to ask those tough questions, knowing it's for their good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, somebody who's in a, a coaching role, one of the beliefs that they hold is, that they believe that that person that they're coaching, that individual has the answers in them. They know what it is, but as a coach, my guy, my job is to guide you and, and teach you some processes and techniques, ask those hard questions that you never want to ask yourself. Right. <laughs> and, and, right. and then holding you accountable. You said mm -hmm. you were going to do this. Yeah. Did you do it. Did you call that person? Did you write that paper? Did you, did you sit down and meditate like you said you were going to do? All those sort of things that we, yeah, I should do that. But it's amazing when you have somebody, uh, particularly an accountability partner like that. I always like to use the gym analogy, right? Where, right, if we're gym partners and it's <laughs> we've got this agreement that we're going to meet at 4.30, you know, every day and go to the gym. And it's about four o'clock and the phone rings and I see it's Teresa. And I'm like, God, I hope she says, let's not go. Gosh, I hope Teresa <laughs> made a cancel. I really hope because I really don't want to go. And then all it is is, hey, Otis, uh, you want to get there a little bit early? <laughs> sure. uh, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, well, we have that human yeah. connection. We, I, I hate to let you down. Right. Amazing. Yeah. And I'm thinking, please say you have to cancel, but okay, he's going, I'm not going to skip out on him. Yeah. It makes yep. a world of difference. Oh yeah. And, and not just in the gym. I mean, everything from, uh, mm -hmm. you know, journaling, saying you're going to meditate, uh, uh, working out diet, you name it. Right. Hey, I'm going to call that person to set up that, to set up that meeting, to start this new line of business, whatever it is. You know, when we tell other people that, and that's one of, the, you know, you hear people talk about goals. It's one of the reasons they tell, they talk about saying your goals out loud, telling people, posting them and things like that, because, you know, all of a sudden it's like, dang, everybody's expecting me to, to get 15 of these things done in the next month. Uh, I don't want to let people down because boy, that'd be embarrassing. Right. I said I would do it. I better follow through. Yep. It does make a world of difference. And I think we sometimes overlook the power of doing that, even with the small things, the everyday stuff. It doesn't always have to be a huge goal, although that's important too, but sometimes just those day-to-day -day habits make all the difference. Oh yeah. Well, the little things add up, don't they? Yeah. Smaller sure. actions, the smaller changes. Because, you know, it, it is hard to make a wholesale change, uh, right. whatever that may be. You know, I was going to use cigarette smoking as a as an example, but I, I think most people I know that quit, you know, quit hard cold turkey instead of walking it back. But there's some other things, you know, like if let's say you want to get up earlier uh, so that you can have more, you know, your workout time in the morning. Well, it's pretty tough to go from waking up at six o'clock to wake up at four o'clock. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? If you if you go from waking up at six o'clock to maybe five forty-five for a week, and then the next week five thirty, and then the next week, and you you start to increment that out, it's still going to be hard, but it's not going to be as drastic. And it's it's walking the small steps in instead of taking this one large leap 
that has so much opportunity for failure. Right. Uh, I, I believe in that sense. So if we if we take those incrementals and we walk towards it that way, then we're going to be have much higher probability of being successful. And then think about it this way. Well, if I've gotten, I'm two, three weeks into it and I'm waking up at 5.30 and then I one day I slip up and wake up at 5.45. Okay, that's not as bad as, you know, I got two days of 4, 4 a.m. and then I slept at 8 o'clock the next day, right? <laughs> right. You're so, keeping it more consistent over yeah. time. Right, right. How would you recommend, I know you've probably been in some pretty intense, high stress situations. And I mean, not to compare to nonprofit work, but (laughs) nonprofits have a lot going on. And sometimes they feel like they're wearing all the hats and it can be extremely stressful. So talk to us about different techniques or ways to just kind of calm down, eliminate some of the external stressors and how to really manage situations better under pressure like that? Yeah. Uh, Well, I I like to refer to it, uh, you know, when you realize that you're in a terrible situation like that, you're feeling overwhelmed. The first thing to do is to stop, is to pause, you know, raise your hands. Yep. This is, this is crazy. Let me stop and assess this. It's, it's very counterintuitive because when people feel that way, what do they want to do? They want to work more. They want to do more. Got to get it all done. Got to get it all done. But that doesn't help because it just builds up and more frustration. And then it becomes uh, the, the quality of effort, the quality of work decreases significantly. Great so point. When we, when, we, when we pause, when we realize it, step one, figure it out, go, oh, my gosh, I really am. Hold the mirror up in front of your face and go, dude, chill out. Okay. Take that breath, pause. All right. What's really going on? What, what's the crisis? Is there even a crisis or am I making the crisis up? Because 99.9% of things that happen that we deem crisis are only things that we've made up in our mind to be a crisis because we choose how it shows up for us. We choose how it affects us, right? So we get to that point now. Now, if when I pause and I take that moment, I can slow things down. And when I slow things down, I can start to analyze, well, what really has to happen? What do I have to get done in order to be successful? What's the timeline? There's a uh, uh, a real simple thing. Let me see if I can remember. It's the it, well, it's called the Eisenhower uh, decision matrix, and uh, it's got four squares. And uh, the, the top right, if I'm remembering right, is uh, urgent and important. The top left is urgent, but not important. Bottom left, not important, not urgent. Throw those out, of course. And then the bottom right is, uh, what was the third one? That's what's my combination. I just drew a blank. Uh, not urgent and important, right? Right. So if we, if we start to think about things in our life in that sense, well, urgent, important, we got to do, right? So what are the things that are urgent, important that I have to do? What are the things that are urgent and not important? Well, I delegate those. Who who can do those for me, right? So if I take care of those, think about how much activity in your life is going on. It fits in those two categories. And how much you think that you are the only one that that can do it. And really, 
ask yourself, am I really the only one? Right. <laughs> and then what are the ones that you can push off? And then those other things that are important, but not urgent, when do they really need to be done? You know, it's the infamous, uh, the term paper in college, right? <laughs> right. You know, because yes. I know that we all sat down and planned it out. And well, if I write 112 words per day for the next six weeks, then I'll have it all done. <laughs> and I won't be up all night the night before trying to finish. Right, right. <laughs> but what happens in reality, we, most of us, we yeah. push it off and, you know, we're writing the whatever 5,000 word paper or whatever the night before. Yeah. And that's because that's, that's taking something that did not need to be urgent, important. It was, it was important and not urgent and we've made it urgent and important right. and put ourselves into that bind by doing that. So going back to the whole overwhelm thing, if we sit, once we sit down and we look at all these things, what are, what are all the things that are flying at us? And write them down, physically write them down. I'm a huge fan of pen and paper in this sense, because pen and paper, the, the physical act of our mind telling our fingers to create characters, things, lines that create characters, that create letters, that create words on a piece of paper and that now our mind recognizes does a little thing to our mind that creates the reality and eases our mind. And now I've captured it all. Now it's not like I've got to do all this stuff. It's amazing when you start writing it down, it's like, dang, that's really not that much. <laughs> or you realize, oh, I'm doing a lot of things that are not important or urgent that I really don't need to be. And I love that you said pen and paper because I'm such a pen and paper gal. <laughs> I still think that's a good way to just sometimes brain dump and get it out of your head. And then once it's out, you can see what you have to work with instead of trying to carry it all up here. And then you do start to feel overwhelmed because you're trying to keep all the things juggling inside your brain at once. Here's one more in the pen and paper that uh, is a great, great technique. I call it free thinking. So you take you take about you start off right. We're going back to our or stepping into it. So let's let's say you set aside a half hour a week, and that half hour a week you get out your your notepad, whatever it is, a book like this or or some other journal thing, or even just a piece of yellow legal paper. Right, take your pen. Put your turn your computer off, turn your phone off, and then just write whatever comes out of your mind. Don't write for an outcome. Don't write to create. Just write. And sometimes some some pretty cool stuff comes out. <laughs> Most times it's just blah 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 blah. But what that does is it takes all the congestion in your mind and. Yes. It's amazing what it does. And just that half hour and then work your way up over the, over the period of a month to a full hour once a week to sit mm -hmm. down free thinking and just just pen just scribbling along. I mean, I've got I've got them in one of my other notebooks. Uh there's there's parts and pieces I look back and be like, not only do I do I not know what I was saying, I can't even read it cuz my handwriting was so bad. <laughs> But it's just it that's is not literally, the point. 
Right. It's not. You're not writing to create something. You're not writing to solve a problem. Problem. You're writing to clear your mind. Right. And I have a friend of mine who does that. He does it about uh, uh, once a week. Uh, not not one 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 week a month sort of thing for like three or four days during that week when he first gets up, and then he literally takes it. He doesn't even save it. He literally does the legal pad. Literally takes it, wads it up, and throws it away. Oh. Okay. Think about that of clearing your mind for wow. focus. <laughs> That's a definite visual yeah. to completely oh, yeah. get rid of it. You know, I think the key you said too is shut off your devices, shut mm. off the distractions because it's too easy to just pick up and check this or that or the dings or the whatever else might come in to interrupt. The key is just to give yourself time to think and just let it out of your head because we do, we probably have so many different things running more than we realize at any given time. And we just, most of them maybe are not relevant to what we need to be focusing on. Oh yeah. And, and uh, thanks to why am I drawing a blank on the guy's name? Mr. Mr. Jobs and uh, Mr. Gates. Mm -hmm. Thanks to Mr. Jobs and Mr. Gates. You know, all of our devices want to let us know that we've got a message. Yeah. We've been conditioned to react to, you know, bzz, ding, splash, slinging in, all those sort of mm -hmm. things. And there's absolutely no way that you can focus with those things going on because they distract you. And every time that ding happens, every time the, the fly-ins happen on your screen, what happens to your eye? What happens to your, your mind? It goes, what was that? Yeah. And then you're, then you're like, is that the email I was looking for you from better uh, check that, that client? They, did they answer the proposal? Uh, yeah, just real right? quick. <laughs> yeah, I'll just check it. And then next thing you know, you know, an hour and a half later, you you spent, you know, 45 minutes scrolling through Facebook. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's that way, right? Yeah. I mean, it happens that quick. Yes, it's designed for distraction. And I think our brains have become reprogrammed for that. And so we do need to make a deliberate conscious decision to be present and to focus like with some of the Cal Newport and Greg McEwen, some of the ones that encourage deep work and focus. I think it does bring us back to that principle, especially if we work in an office with a lot of people around us, it's helpful if we start having the conversations and encouraging the distraction free time and cr start creating cultures of that and giving permission, so to speak, for that. Because sometimes it is tough. We feel like we're supposed to be on every second. And that's not a good way to, it's not sustainable. And available to everybody too. That's the other yes. one. You know, one of the things I, I love to uh, teach people about is, is breaking your day up into three different categories, focus, flex, and personal. And if you think about it, focus is that time in the day and you block it out. It's that time in the day where you do one thing at a time, whether it's, you know, you're working on a proposal, you're, you're responding to emails or, or, but everything else you don't do, you don't touch is your focus time. You do that one thing and, and your door, you know, if you're in the office setting, your door is closed or, or, you know, if you're in cube land, you figure out some way of letting people know, hey, don't bother me right now for this hour, right? And you establish that. Flex time, flex time is what most of us spend all of our time in, right? That's where, you know, gazillion tabs are open. We're answering the phone. People are coming in the door and, you know, look at how busy I am. I'm getting a lot done. 
No, you're not. Uh, but that's the belief we all have in that. Right. And then the third one, personal time, that's one of the most critical because we're not taking care of ourselves. Spending time each day doing something that we want to do for us, then we're giving ourselves all the way, and we're not sustaining ourselves. That's huge in the uh, in the nonprofit space. <laughs> Seeing that so many heck, I got burned out with rugby too. Right. Same thing. Cause I just kept giving, giving, giving. And it was, and it got to the point where I was just burned out. I had nothing left to give and I had to step away for, from it for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, and so if you don't set aside, block out that personal time, just to, to take care of yourself, whatever it is, whatever that may be, you know, whether it's going for a walk, reading a book, uh, taking a nap, you name it, call mom, Whatever that is in that personal time, that's what you do. You block that out too, because you got to do something for yourself each day to to refuel yourself so that you can sustain that high level of effort in your life. So, so true. And I think out of those three buckets you mentioned, the focus, flex, and personal, when there's a conflict, probably the personal is the first to give. It's the first one that we mm -hmm. let go of some of that time instead of the other spaces and we suffer for it. Oh yeah. 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 And that, that, that is ironic. And it, well, you know, we, most of us want to serve and help others, right? but we want in order to do that and the best of our ability, we have to take care of ourselves. And if we're not sustaining ourselves, doing personal maintenance, whatever that is, you know, from the, the sleep, the physical activity to the diet, to the, you know, what are you reading to person professionally develop yourself? All these things that we've got to do for ourselves, or, uh, and I always leave this out, but I, I got to say this to remind people in that personal space, when you're reading, you don't always have to read professional development books. You can read things for fun. It's okay. You can, and here, here's another one that just blows your mind. You can read two books at the same time. You can have one that's fun and one that's professional. Yeah. I'm guilty of about 10 books at once at any given time, and I probably should not do that. But I think what you're saying, though, a lot of times when we do those things, we carry guilt about it. But mm -hmm. we need those things in our lives to refuel and refresh, especially in the nonprofit world, because people are servant hearted. That's why they're here. Okay. And they are natural givers and want to help this cause. But if they don't step back and do those things, it's really going to hurt the entire function and the process personally and as an organization. So what you're saying, it's absolutely true. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's no different than getting the oil change in your car, right? Yeah. And if you want your car to continue to run, you got to pull maintenance on your car. Right. You Sooner or later, you'll pay for it if you don't. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. What would you say have been, say, your top two or three big takeaways or lessons from your experiences? Uh Probably one of the one of the biggest ones, biggest lesson I've learned uh, post army is you have to be more clear and under and understanding of others. So as a Green Beret, we all 
went through a similar process. We all have a similar attitude. And the example I always use is, hey, Monday morning at the team meeting, I say, hey, we need by, by Friday, we need three bags of blue powder. And you know, one of the guys says, Roger, that got it. No problem. Wednesday afternoon, I get five bags of blue powder. Or, hey, sir, I've got two. I'm working on number three. I'll let you know tomorrow by 10 o'clock the status of that. What I found in the rest of the, the space is I have to ex explain and teach that. Not to say that there's not organizations that do that, but I have to explain and, and, and establish those expectations and standards of performance for others. And that's an important thing as a leader to understand is, is how do you communicate what it is that you're, that you're telling everybody to achieve and do so that they understand how to do it and why it's important and how what they do fits into the bigger picture. That's, that's why it's important. Uh, the other thing, and this is, this is how I've refined it uh, to, to help others understand it, but is, is that as a leader, you have to have trust. And what I refer to it as is the trust triad. And what the trust triad as to be successful as a leader, to have the trust triad is as a leader, you have to trust yourself. You have to believe that every, every decision that you make is the best decision you can make in the moment with the information you have in the time that you have to make that decision. You have to believe that that's step one of the triad. Step two is you have to trust your team to do what you hired them to do. Why are they there? If you don't trust them to perform their job that you hired them to do, then why are they on your team? Allow them to do their job. Challenge them, test them, send them off, give them the opportunity to perform in their job where they are the experts. Let them do their job. So that's step two try of the triad. And when those two are in place, when you trust yourself and you trust your team, the third leg comes into place and that's the team trust you. The team trusts you as the leader that every decision that you make has the best interest of the entire organization, the success of the organization, not your individual benefit, not one person's benefit, not what's going in your pocketbook sort of benefit, but the organization's benefit. And when they believe that, then you have the trust triad and that's how you start to operate with flow in your team. So you trust yourself. You trust your team and then your team trusts you. That trust triad. And, you know, that's, I would say that's not uh, something I learned. I, I guess you could say that I learned how to, I learned how to formulate it to where it's simple for others to understand mm -hmm. because of how I operated, where I grew up in, in my life and the, 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 the culture I grew up in very much was a trust triad type of culture. I've never heard it put that way, but that is such a clear picture of what it needs to look like. And if any one piece is missing, it's not going to quite be there. You'd really need all three elements to have a strong team and a strong functioning, whatever company, nonprofit, or whatever it is, your business. That's so true. And that's a really great comparison. That's a visual that I think will stick and help have a lot of applications in different situations. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do like it. And you know, if you, if you think about, 
you know, my engineering background, you think about bridges and structures, structural integrity. Triangles are used a lot, but the only way a triangle can be structurally uh, strong is that all three legs are carrying the load that's required to make it strong. So if one of those legs of the triad is weak, I don't believe in myself and my decisions, because you see this a lot with teams that are very strong team, but the leader is, is, is weak. They're, they never accomplish that flow. They never have that, that trust triad because the leader may believe that the team could do it, but the leader, he doesn't trust him herself or himself do mm -hmm. the best decisions in the moment. And the leg is wobbly. And mm -hmm. I feel like on top of that, you need to layer on a good dose of grace for everybody, knowing that, yeah, you're making the best decision in the moment, but you're probably going to make mistakes. And the same with your team and back and forth. Like it just takes a lot of grace and giving each other space to be human along with that trust. 100%. Yeah. It, that that grace that that's the allowing people to try something and fail allowing yes. yourself to try it and screw it up yes those things because how do we get better how do we learn right we have to try something new we have to push and stretch because if we don't push and stretch ourselves we never grow exactly and i think that goes back to what you said in the very beginning about giving ourselves the room to do that and to experiment and just taking those chances sometimes in that space. Oh yeah. 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 You have to, otherwise, otherwise you won't grow. Your team won't grow. Right. And, you know, when, when that happens and you stagnate, you flatline, then you're going to lose out. No doubt about right. it. Right. Yeah. Such amazing wisdom. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear what is a resource that has been especially meaningful to you in your journey? Uh, well, one of my favorites is, uh, the Stoics and, uh, Marcus Aurelius's book, uh, Meditations is an amazing book. And then staying in that same realm, uh, Admiral Stockdale's book, which is what led me to Marcus Aurelius's book, Admiral Stockdale's book, uh, Thoughts of a Philosophical Fighter Pilot was the first philosophy book I read and, uh, uh, amazing story because he talks about how stoicism helped him survive uh, what was it almost 10 years in uh, prison in, in the Hanoi Hilton after getting shot down very early in the war the Vietnam War uh, and he talks about how that sort of style that philosophy is what uh, allowed him to survive when others perished in similar situations wow okay I will link to all the books you've mentioned in the show notes and haven't read those. So I'll have to add those to my list. Mm -hmm. I'm always looking for a book to read and to add to my stack, <laughs> some variety. Yeah. Well, tell us where can people find out more to connect with you online and find more? Cause I know you have a lot of great resources too. Yeah. Uh, our website is tribe-purpose.com. Uh, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, dad is junior. Um, uh, dad is doctor and junior. So I'm Otis McGregor, just plain old Otis on LinkedIn. I uh, love connecting with people there. We we share a lot of uh, our philosophy. I love sharing my whiskey words on Whiskey Wednesday. 
so check that out. Uh, and also, we have the our podcast, the Cam and Otis Show, uh, available our our YouTube channel and uh, out on all the podcast uh, sources. What are, what are those things called? Yeah, Spotify, all the what? players. Yeah, players, po- podcast things everywhere. <laughs> everywhere everywhere podcasts are found there you go there <laughs> there sounds like, it sounds like a commercial now <laughs> right no that's great well i hope people check you out and i know you have such a heart to help inspire and encourage leaders and so this has been great and especially in nonprofit work we need all the support we can get so thank you for being a part of it oh it's great to be here thanks for the uh, opportunity to share All right. What did you think of this one? What were your biggest takeaways from this conversation? I'd love to hear from you. I really enjoyed hearing his experiences and stories and just how he faced some of these challenges head on and how he's learned to navigate those with grace and with a lot of bravery and leadership skills. And that doesn't happen overnight. It takes time to build up. It takes encouragement from others. And it takes mentors from people like Otis who can speak the truth and be blunt and sometimes harsh, but also loving and kind with it too. So who do you have in your life that can be this way for you? I would love to hear from you, your takeaways from the conversation, your leadership lessons that you either will implement or that you could relate to. Come message me on LinkedIn or on my website contact form and let's keep the conversation going. Remember to share my TEDx talk with people around you, with your nonprofit colleagues, or even with people not in nonprofits to help them understand the true purpose of grants and how we can all work together to build a true ROI around grant writing. That's called the real ROI of grant writing, and you can find it on YouTube. As we wrap up the year, I just want to wish you a happy new year. I hope things are going well for you as you are closing out the year. I want to encourage you to take some time to rest and reflect and recharge. And next week, I will have a kickoff episode with some things for you to think about as we're going into the new year and helping you plan out and think strategically, of course, about that because we do a lot of that around here, right? So anyway, I just want to wish you the best wrap up to end 2022 and I hope you have a blessed holiday season and I will see you in the new year.